I have a question for you as we start off this message. We just sang, his grace still amazes me. And I ask each of you today, does God's grace still amaze you today? Does God's grace still amaze you? We have to evaluate this today. We're gonna continue our series in the book of Luke. We're gonna be in chapter seven today. Uh, And we're gonna look at uh, two characters, two people that we see in this story that have an interaction with Jesus. And we're going to compare the response that they have to Jesus. One of these characters is overwhelmed by Jesus and the other is underwhelmed by Jesus. I ask you this simple question. Are you underwhelmed or overwhelmed by Jesus today? You know, this past week, my family had the chance to get away on vacation for a little bit. We got to go to Florida and we're at the beach uh, with my wife's family for a few days. And we had a great time, you know, on the beach, swimming in the pool, spending time with family. It was a blast. And it got to our last day. We left on Wednesday and we were headed home. And my son, Callum, he's six years old. He was a little bummed that we were leaving. Of course, right? I was too. We were leaving the beach, headed home, vacation was ending. But we actually had some good news because we were gonna take a detour on the way home and go to an Atlanta Braves game. So I was very excited about this. But when I told Callum, I said, oh, we're gonna, it's gonna be a great day though. We're gonna go to a Braves game. You know what his response was? I don't wanna go to a Braves game. Yeah, I know. And I heard that. I was like, I have failed as a father. What am I even doing? He has no desire to go to this game. You see, for me, the Atlanta Braves holds a little bit of a significance because I remember growing up watching them with my father, going to some of their games, you know, having the baseball cards. And my brother, Nathan, you know, him, he even had a Braves uh, like bedspread on his bed. Like we kind of like the Atlanta Braves. It was just a thing. And I'm not necessarily like an avid baseball watcher, but there's something special about an Atlanta Braves game. But my son had, has no clue about this. He didn't know. Like his response was a response of being underwhelmed by the idea of going to a Braves game. And I asked him, do you know what the Braves are? He's like, no. He, had, he didn't realize it. We had actually, a, a few years back, we had taken him to a Braves game, but he was younger and he didn't have much recollection of that. So here I am telling him about the Braves and how great it was gonna be. And you know what he was most excited about? The popcorn. Like that's what he was looking forward to. But the idea of going to this game was underwhelming to him. It was underwhelming. And as we look at the story today, we see two characters. We see the Pharisee who we know as Simon and a woman who we don't know the name of. One of them is amazed by Jesus and we see this in her response. And the other Simon is not amazed. The one who is underwhelmed does not realize how amazing God's grace is. As we look at this passage today, I want us to see is that through Jesus, each one of us has been forgiven more than we could ever imagine. 
this unimaginable, amazing grace should change the way in which we respond to Jesus today. So with that in mind, let's open up the word of God and read Luke chapter seven, starting in verse 36, and we'll read all the way through verse 50. It's a pretty long passage, so stick with me. Here we go. Starting in verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. This is a pretty wild response to Jesus, an amazing response to Jesus. Then in verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And maybe today he's saying, Church, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. In verse 41, a a creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for your word that you have given us today. Open up our hearts to hear what you have to say to us. Maybe you are saying, just like you said to Simon, I have something to say to you. Lord, help us as we talk about your word, help us to realize how amazing and overwhelming your grace is. We thank you for loving us even when we don't deserve it. We thank you for giving your life for us on the cross even when we don't deserve it. It's hard to even fathom that kind of love, Lord, but help us, give us just some insight to that today and help it to overwhelm us and change maybe our response that we have to you today. Lord, it's your name we pray, amen. 
So what we're going to do today as we look at this passage is we're going to do a little bit of compare and contrast of a few characteristics that we see from uh, the woman as well as from Simon the Pharisee. So we're going to look at these, compare the two, and then I want us to discover as we look at those, discover maybe why they responded in the way they responded to Jesus. And then at the end of that, we're going to look at the parable that Jesus shares with Simon and let that give us further insight to that uh, so that we can understand more how we should respond to the overwhelming grace of God. You know, as we read this passage, maybe as we read this passage, you might think of one person in the story as better than the other. You could think potentially both ways that maybe the woman's better because she was more humble or the, the Simon was better because he was a Pharisee and was religious. I, I don't know, but I want you to resist that temptation because one is not better than the other. They both need the grace of God in their lives, but only one of them realizes this truth. And there's some things that are getting in the way of Simon realizing this truth. So the first characteristics we see, we see Simon's pride and the woman's humility. Simon's pride and the woman's humility. You know, pride and humility are interesting because sometimes in our culture, either one can be taken as positive or negative. Like you might say to someone that you should take pride in your work, right? That's a positive maybe connotation for the word pride. Like you should have confidence is what that's saying. You should have confidence in what you're doing. Or maybe with humility, we'll look at it on the other end and we think it's a lack of self-esteem. Like you have a low self-esteem, so you're not confident in what you do And I want us to look at those words as they are in scripture, not maybe as our culture would use those words. So with it, I wanna give a couple of definitions. And then I wanna give a, a couple of definitions of, of humility and pride that C.S. Lewis gave. And then I wanna share some scripture that speaks into this, okay? So the definition of prideful is this, having an excessively high opinion of one's self. On the other hand, the definition of humility is having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance. So again, we would say it's not good to have a low self-esteem. We should have confidence. But when we talk about humility here, it's not about having a low self-esteem of oneself, but rather not viewing yourself as more as the most important person in the room. C.S. Lewis says this about humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's putting others first. And then C.S. Lewis says about pride, he says this, pride gets no pleasure of having something only out of having more than the next man. It's seeing yourself, viewing yourself as superior to others. Maybe you could use the word arrogance, having an arrogance above others. So we see with Simon, he was a Pharisee. And when reading the New Testament, we don't typically find many places where Pharisees are described as humble people. 
you know? Like maybe if we look to uh, Paul after his life is transformed, we wouldn't describe Saul before meeting Jesus as humble, but maybe after we describe him as humble, but we usually don't see Pharisees described as humble people. They normally have a high view of themselves. As a Pharisee, Simon would have been highly versed in the Old Testament. He would have known all about the history of the Jewish culture, the history of God from creation to this time. He would have known it frontwards and backwards. He would most likely have lived a very disciplined life. He would have read God's word from the Old Testament daily. He would live closely to the laws of the Old Testament. He would have been highly religious and a hardcore follower of God. Now, this isn't bad in some senses, right? Like we should be disciplined. We should know the word of God. We should seek to follow him, but he used that as a religious pride, as seeing himself as superior than others. They would have been religiously proud, thinking because what they know, what they do, they are above everyone else. But then on the other hand, the woman showed humility. Imagine how difficult it would have been for this woman of low standing, of a sinful past that everyone apparently knew about to go into the home of a Pharisee. She didn't try to cover up who she was or prop herself up in any way. Instead, she went to the feet of Jesus and washed his feet with her hair. Think how humbling that would be. They wore sandals and walked around on dirt roads all day. And here she is washing Jesus's feet with her tears. You think she's overwhelmed by Jesus in this moment? The overwhelming grace of God in her life that she's sensing is leading her to posture herself into a humble state before Jesus. She was amazed by Jesus. She wasn't focused on how she would be perceived by everyone else. You know, in scripture over and over, we see warnings about pridefulness and celebration of humility. In James chapter four, verse six, it says, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 11, two, this is one of many Proverbs that talk about pride, says when pride comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes wisdom. Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourself. Lastly, later on in Philippians 2, we see Jesus's perfect example of humility. It says this, starting in verse five, adopt the same attitude of that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be 
exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus shows us the perfect example of humility. He is God, has everything, and yet he emptied himself coming into a broken world so that he could die a painful, brutal death on the cross so that we could find salvation. He did not consider himself more highly than any of us in this room. A simple question to ask yourself is, am I adopting a humble atti- the humble attitude of Christ or am I adopting the prideful, maybe even religiously prideful attitude of the Pharisees? I'll ask that once again. Am I adopting the humble attitude of Christ in my life or am I adopting the prideful, maybe even religiously prideful attitude of the Pharisees? The second comparison that we'll make, the characteristics that we'll make is we see the judgmental attitude of Simon and the grace of Jesus. Simon right away in this passage passes quick judgment on both Jesus and on the woman. First, he questions in his mind if Jesus was really a prophet because he let this woman touch him. Then he was quick to say about the woman that she is a sinner. This shows how the pride of Simon led to a feeling of superiority over others. You know, the Christian church as a whole gets a pretty bad rap when it comes to this idea of being judgmental. Do you know why? What do you think? Why do you think the church gets a bad rap for being judgmental? Because people in the Christian church, maybe more specifically in the US church, tend to be pretty judgmental. That's me and you. Here's what I mean. We're quick to do exactly what Simon did and point out the sins of others. This world that we live in is polarized and divided in so many ways. And we're quick to point the finger at the other people and say, they're the problem. They're the sinners over there. Stay away from them, whoever that is. It comes in many different forms and it might not even be about one specific person that we might judge, but maybe a general view of other people. Our tendency is to speak judgmentally about people that are not followers of Jesus, to look down on them, to think of ourselves superior, which is that religious pridefulness that we are talking about in regards to the Pharisees. When we do this, We're getting something mixed up because we view others as the problem or people as the problem in the world. But scripture tells us that our enemy is not flesh and blood. Here's the thing. Our judgmental attitudes or judgmental words aren't showing anyone the love of Jesus. 
If you want to see change in this world that we live in, if you want to see our country change, then start putting Jesus first rather than your judgmental opinions. I'm preaching, that's to me too. You know, your judgments might even be right in some ways, but that's not the point. Jesus at this moment did not show judgment. Did you know you can speak truth and not be judgmental at the same time? You can speak truth and not be a jerk in the same moment, right? Jesus did not discount the fact that this woman was a sinner. He didn't. He didn't say, oh, your sins are fine. Don't worry about them. Keep on doing what you're doing. He didn't say that. He said, your sins are forgiven. He showed love. He showed grace. He showed forgiveness. And if we want to see change in this world, we have to put our judgmental opinions aside, whether right or wrong, and show the love of Jesus Christ to the world around us that needs it so desperately. Instead of ridiculing her sin, he forgave her. So let's set our judgmental attitudes aside and find ways to show the love of Jesus to others. I want you to simply ask this question of yourself. Am I judgmental? Whew. Think about that. Am I judgmental? How can you show the love of Jesus to the people that you tend to judge? You know, one thing that you might could do when you recognize yourself feeling judgmental towards someone, shift from criticism to prayer. And I'm not saying like, don't make it a prayer of criticism about how terrible they are. Make it a prayer of grace, a prayer of love, a prayer of care for who they are because people are God's image bearers. Every human in this world is made by God. They are loved by God. Jesus came to die on the cross for their sins just as much as your sins. We are no better The last characteristics we see are Simon's self-righteousness and the woman who realized her need for Jesus. Simon had built his life on knowing about God, doing what God had said. Basically, you would say Simon and the other Pharisees thought their righteousness came from what they had done. They had done a lot of things, the good things. They had read the Old Testament. They knew it. They had followed it. They were disciplined. They did all of the things and they thought their righteousness came from what they had done that they didn't need Jesus. He didn't think he needed anyone else to do anything for him because he had already done it himself. On the other hand, we see the woman who realized her need for Jesus. She knew she was a sinner. She knew she needed saving. She knew Jesus could change her life. You can tell by the posture in which the woman took before Jesus. She knelt down, she wept, she cleaned Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. She kissed his feet, she put perfume on him. Maybe she didn't know all about the Old Testament 
She might not have followed all of the laws, but what she did know is that she needed Jesus and she needed saving. It's easy for us to get caught up in the things of faith and try to find our righteousness in things other than the grace of God. We go to church, take our kids to Awana, sing in jewel tones, do extra Bible studies, serve in VBS, and all of that makes us feel better. And those aren't bad things. They're actually great. We should do them. But the question is, what are your motives? Why do you do what you do? Why do you come to church on Sunday mornings? Why do you sing worship songs? Why do you go to a Bible study? Why do you bring your kids to Awana? Is it just for the practice to make yourself feel more righteous and more good? Or is it a response to what God has done for you? Is it a response to what Jesus did for us or is it just to be a better Christian? In reality, none of those things make us righteous. Your good works in church, your morality, your Bible knowledge do not change your status before God. Only faith in Jesus can change our status before God. Our status without Jesus is this. A sinner separated from God today and for eternity but our status with Jesus in our life is this, redeemed from our sin to live in eternity with God. It's not something you could earn. It's not something you deserve. It's not something any of your works will gain you. Yet God still gave his life for you. Are you trying to live out your faith in your own self-righteousness or are you living in the grace of God? Because I promise if you live in the grace of God and let that be your motives for all of the things you do within the church, it will transform this church. When we do it with the right motives, God will bless it and work and move in incredible ways in your life and the lives of others because it will be evident. It will be a light shining out, a beacon shining out into our church and shining out into our city. So the last thing I want us to look at, we saw our characteristics, the opposing views between Simon and the woman. But I want us to finish by looking at the parable in which Jesus shared with Simon. And I want us to to give us further insight into what we're talking about. So I'm gonna read again the parable part. So it's nine verses starting in verse 41 is where we're going to start. And it says this, a creditor had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50, okay? So there were a couple of loans and one owed a lot, and one owed just a little. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. 
You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved so much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is the man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I wanna reiterate what we've said this whole time. The woman realized her need for Jesus. She realized how immense her sin was and she showed by the way she responded to Jesus, how much she loved him and desired to have him in her life. Simon, however, was prideful, judgmental, self-righteous. He did not realize his need for Jesus. In this parable, you know, there's a question that I had, was Jesus saying to Simon, that he needed less forgiving than the woman? You know, the, the two, the 500 and the 50 saying he had less. I don't think that it's his less sin meant he needed less forgiving. I think it's more the fact that Simon didn't realize his own sin. He thought he only had little. He didn't think he needed Jesus. And for that reason, his response was underwhelming. He was not amazed by Jesus. You know, I wanna real quickly go back to the story I was sharing with you at the beginning of the message about my son Callum and going to the Braves game. You know, I had told you that we we're going to the Braves game and he was dis uh, disappointed at the beginning. And the reason why was because he had never experienced it before. That all changed on Wednesday night when we went to the Braves game. When we showed up to the game, he was enamored by all of it. He was amazed at the huge stadium, all the people, the big lights, of course, the snacks and the popcorn, he loves that. He watched the game intently and that's saying something for a six-year-old boy to sit there and watch the game. Uh, we saw a couple home runs. He made it on the Jumbotron twice, which is pretty, that's something. I guess that curly red hair helps out, I don't know. But he made it on there twice and he was having the time of his life. He did not want to leave the game. We actually left the game at the, end of the eighth because we were driving home the rest of the way and it, and it was late and I asked him as we were walking to the, to the car, uh, what was your favorite part of the game? I said, I don't know. I think we missed my favorite part because we left early. <laughs> I know. I think he's a glass half empty kind of guy. I don't know, but he loved it. He did not want to leave. And the reason why is because he experienced it. He saw it firsthand. Have you experienced the amazing grace of God in your life? We sang about it today. Are you overwhelmed by that? We should be. The woman in this story experienced the amazing grace of God and through Jesus Christ himself, and it showed in the way in which she responded to Jesus. Simon, however, was unable to see past his own pride and judgments and self-righteousness. He could not even see his need 
for Jesus? Are you amazed by the grace of God today? Are you underwhelmed or overwhelmed by what Jesus has done for you today? Through Jesus, each one of us has been forgiven more than we could ever imagine. This unimaginable grace should change the way in which we respond to Jesus today. Maybe you're in here and you're a follower of Jesus and you've been living in some ways like uh, the Pharisee did, like Simon. Maybe you're letting your judgments and uh, your self-righteousness and your pride maybe take over and direct the way in which you follow Jesus. And what I want you to simply do today is to remember the overwhelming grace of God through Jesus. Think back on when you first experienced the grace of God in your life. Let that be your guide. Don't let the world around us with all of its distraction guide us and dictate how we react to it. Let the grace of God in our life guide you today. Maybe you're in this room and you've never put your faith in Jesus. No matter who you are, where you come from, what you have done, God loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you to bring you into right relationship with him. Our status with Jesus is this, or without Jesus is this, a sinner separated from God today and for eternity, but our status with Jesus, when we put our faith and trust in him, just as the woman did, redeemed from our sin to live in eternity with God. Would you allow Jesus into your life today? We're going to move into our time of response and worship. And as we move into this time, I have two prompts for you. One, if you're in here and you're a follower of Jesus, I want this time to be a moment in which you remember the grace of God in your life. Maybe that means coming forward and taking the posture of the woman by kneeling at the front. Maybe it's raising your hand. I know we're Baptists, but maybe raising your hands in worship and awe of who he is, right? But respond to the grace of God in your life. And if you're in here and you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, I would love to talk to you about that. I'm gonna be standing right here down front as we sing this next song of response. And I encourage you to come and talk with me. I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll continue our response time. Lord, I thank you for your word that you have given us. I thank you for the amazing grace that you have shown us. Let that overflow into each of our lives. Lord, let your spirit bring that in, reveal that to us even more in a new and fresh way today, Lord. Help us remember it like we did the first time we experienced it and let it change the way we live our lives, Lord. I pray that if someone in this room doesn't know you, that today they would put their faith and trust in you.
Lord, we thank you for all you've done for us. Let that guide us as we go. It's your name we pray, amen.